You can be seated if you'd like on this gorgeous Wednesday. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's almost fall. I'm loving it. Most people think of falling leaves and they think of pumpkin spice stuff. It's almost hunting season. Am I right, Brother Co? That's what I feel. When I get up in the morning and drink my coffee and sit on the deck and that just that hint of, 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 of chill or bite is there and it's an awesome thing. I'm looking forward to it. My wife took down July 4th decorations or at least summer decorations and somehow a pumpkin form just grew up over, over today while I was at work in the house. Just it's, it's fall. But man, I'm so glad that each one of you are here and, uh, love this connection that we do at this church. And, and years ago, my ADD would have gotten really discombobulated trying to get up here and preach and everybody talking and walking, but now I love it. I love watching you connect. And to all of the new faces, whether it's Urshan students that are returning or people that have moved into the area or just some that have just come to Lighthouse and been apart these last couple of weeks, we welcome you. We love what God is doing here, and uh, I love talking about Lighthouse. I love bragging on Lighthouse. I love just uh, telling people what, what's happening at Lighthouse, and, uh, but, but we're, we're thankful, and we're glad to have the Sparks here. Uh, great friends of ours, they uh, pastor in Oregon. They're also uh, uh, the Oregon District Children's Ministries Director, and uh, I don't know what the proper term is. They're the ones that adopted Toby. If you've seen Toby running around, they're responsible for him and uh, adopted him and brought him into our midst. And we've just had a great time. And they're here, I'm assuming. I mean, I'm not trying to speak for I'm assuming you're here for train up. But uh, tomorrow, uh, Thursday all day, tomorrow night, uh, Friday is train up, uh, uh, teacher training, children's ministry training. And I know... There's ones from our church, especially in our Sunday school, that's going to be a part of that. I'll be there for some of it. And uh, we're glad you came and, and been with us. It does make my job preaching a little bit harder. I'd rather just tell you to come preach, but whatever. If you remember last week, and I don't have time, it's, it's the first main week of school, and I'm going to have just enough time to keep y'all's attention before those that have been in school and the kids and the young people and the urchin students start falling asleep because I don't know what it is about school, it's tiring. Uh, Zeke's going to school, Zeke's not quite old enough to go to kindergarten, his age fell funny so he has to wait like a whole year, he'll be a senior citizen by the time he starts kindergarten. But uh, so we were trying to figure out what to do and of course here on Wednesdays we have the, that, the, the Shine homeschool co-op that, that rents our building and meets and some of our families attend, and so we were able to put Zeke in there, and he's loving it, but I don't know what they do, but man, he gets in my truck at three, and he's just wiped, just done. So I won't be long. I'm not going to re-preach what I preached last week, or, or at least uh, go over it, but I do want to piggyback off of it. We talked last week about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? And I read scripture after scripture and showed you scripture after scripture that talks about the kingdom of God. And I, I do want to reiterate at least one uh, portion of Scripture. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John, chapter 3, and then uh, we'll go over to um, Hebrews chapter 11. But I do want to just 
remind you, and I, I want you to see the kingdom of God. Now, we've got Ursher students here, we've got our young people that are here, but those of you that are older, or at least your old souls, um, whenever I think of the kingdom of God, the only thing that comes to mind, or at least the first thing that comes to mind, is listening to the happy Goodmans sing, looking for a kingdom, or a city, rather. And I can just hear old sister uh, Vesta Goodman keep singing higher and higher until chandeliers break and then the tenor get involved. And that's, that's what I get. And, and we, we sing those songs about the kingdom of God and the city of God. And I think you could, and I'm going to show you here in just a minute, you can probably talk about the city of God and the kingdom of God a little bit interchangeably, if you will. We, we are always understanding that we are not of this world. We walk in this world. We live in this world. We, we have relationship and communion in this world, but this is not my home. Just on a whole nother side, it's free. You don't have to pay for this. But I think one of the, the things that if we're not careful, and I don't remember who I was talking to, but just recently, maybe in the last day or two, I had a conversation. When you look at Israel uh, in, in, the, in the Bible, especially when Jesus shows up and, and when the, the apostles show up, Israel had become so nationalistic that they had decided, because I'm an Israelite, thus God blesses me. They got to the point where they told Jesus, we've never been in captivity. You live the majority of your life in captivity. And, and so, but, but yet I see a little bit, this is kind of free, I see a little bit where if we're not careful, us red-blooded Americans, we couch the Bible in American terms. That everything in the Bible speaks to Americans first. No, it does not. In fact, and, and I mean, I don't, I don't understand all of prophecy, I don't, but I haven't found America in the Bible yet. I've not found the words United States. I've not found the word. I've found eagles. If you want to compare eagles to uh, maybe we're in there. I don't know. But here's what I do find. Jesus and his word says we're not Jew nor Greek. We're not servants or masters. We're not barbarians or civilized. Because there is a kingdom of God. We were not called to be Christian Americans. We were called to be Christians. And so it is that we are looking. So let's look at, at John chapter 3. And this is kind of where I, I, I started last week. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, but none can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, which, honestly, I don't think Jesus answered him at all. Jesus ignored everything he said and just started a whole other conversation. Truly, truly, verily, verily, basically, listen up. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. If you've got a real Bible, if you've got a, a, a Bible app that you can highlight or underline, you need to underline that word, see. See the kingdom. Later on, Nicodemus said, I, I have no idea. How can one be born again when he's old? Does he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, verily, verily. Hey, listen up. This is important. I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom. And so it is that we see this, this word, the kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven, interchangeable words, and we can see it 
and we can enter it. Look at, at uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 11 real quick. I, I was sitting at my desk earlier today and just letting my mind wander. And this is where it, it went. It says, uh, by faith, Abraham. I'll find it here. There we go. Abraham, uh, or Abraham chapter 10. How about Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, which talks about Abraham. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham maybe did not understand it all. Abraham may not have quite figured it out. God had told him, hey, come out of Ur of Chaldees. Wherever your foot touches, I'm going to give it to you. But there was something, I think, deeper in Abraham that realized it's not just the land that I walk on. It's not just the physical uh, land that I get, but I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And I believe that for you and I, we ought to be looking for the kingdom of heaven. I've done enough funerals of, of saved folks to know that I'd rather do a funeral of a saved folk than anybody else. It's so much easier. It's really hard to do a funeral for a scoundrel and not lie. I have beat around the bush more for funerals like that than I know. I don't, just you just, what do you say? But, but when, when, when I, I think about it, and I, I've said this so many times that I grew up in this. I, I grew up with, with grandparents that, that walked the, this faith and, and loved this faith. And I grew up with them talking about this faith and always talking about there is coming a day. There is a moment where the trumpet sounds. There's a moment that absent of the body is to be present with Christ. And there is an element of this Christian walk that this is not all there is. I'm looking for a city. Go to Revelations, it says that there will be a moment where that city will come down. Clothed in all of its beauty. I'm going to preach another sermon one day. And and, and the fact is, is that uh, you don't belong in hell. Wasn't made for you. Bible says that hell is reserved. It's got a reserve sign for the demons and the you're not you don't belong in hell, but it specifically says if I go away, I have prepared a place for you. Heaven's prepared for you. That's where God wants you. That God's not going to put you in hell. You'll find yourself there, but God didn't put you in hell cuz he didn't design it for you. You won't fit in in hell. Can you imagine that? That's the bad thing. We, we think about all the, the, the hell and, and all of the, the, the pictures and the, the visual images that you can think about. But I think the worst thing is to know you don't belong there. But yet in this understanding that there is coming a day. Don't forget that the kingdom of heaven is not just then. The kingdom of heaven is also now. Except a man be born again, he cannot see. Except a man be born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter. That is not just, hey, if you're born again of the water and the spirit, you can go to heaven. There is something you get now in that moment of salvation. What do you get? Let's look at the kingdom of heaven that is now. So Matthew chapter 25 
starting in verse 14. And I'm going to be paraphrasing. I'll probably sometime do the English Standard Version part. I'll sometimes do King James Version, and sometimes I'll do Brandon Buford Version. So whatever you put up there, Brother uh, Andy, just, just keep, it, keep it there, and y'all can figure it out from there. Matthew chapter 25. For the kingdom of heaven is like. It's all part of a, of a, a string of parables that Jesus would give. He wanted you to know what the kingdom of heaven was like, a pearl. A kingdom of heaven is like uh, 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 a, a, a treasure found in a field. But here he says the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. He calls his servants before he goes and he entrusts to them his property. To one of them he gave him five talents. Another he he, he did the same, and, 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 and then, uh, uh, or, or likewise, wait, let me back up. He gave one five talents, one two talents, and one, one talent to every man according to his ability. So first off, you see this understanding that, that at the end of, of this chapter, at the end of this parable, we go back to the, 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 the common theme that there is coming a day when the Lord's going to come back and he's going to separate the wheat from the tares and he's going to separate the goats from the sheep and there's going to be a judgment day. But don't get so far in advance that you're looking for the judgment day and you forget everything that happens up to the judgment day. Before he even left, he said, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you some talents and I'm going to give you some talents. The Bible says the one that received five talents, well... He went, traded, I don't know exactly what he did, but somehow, not only did he retain those five talents, but he made an extra five talents. Talents at this point is a, a, a figure, a term of money, a type of money. So, so he gave him a, a, some money, and, and, and he went out and he invested it, he used it, he, and it grew, and he got five more. The one that had two talents, well, he gained two more. He now had four. But the one who had received one, dug in the earth and hid his Lord's money. Verse 19, after a long time. It's a little bit indicative of the time of Christ's return. To you and I, it's a long time. To Christ, it might just be feel like a day. A day with the Lord is like a thousand years with you and I. And so after a long time, the Lord comes back. Again, that 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 image of the return of Christ the Lord comes back and he looks at them, he reckons with them and he says okay I gave you five talents, what did you do with it? Well I, I got five more Lord said well done thy good and faithful servant you've been faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruler over many, enter thou into the joy of the Lord he sees the one who had two, what did you do while I was gone? Well, I, I made two more, and the same reaction, well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter. He comes to the one who had been given one, and he said, he said uh, what did you do? Well, master, Lord, I, I knew you were a hard man. Reap where you hadn't sown, gathered where you hadn't strawed. I was afraid. Went and hid my talent in the earth, and lo, it's still there, and everything you have given me. It's yours. Notice that he didn't lose one iota of the investment. 
I mean, it would make sense. One talent, five talent, a million talents. If you squander it, if you lose it, I get it, man. Master comes back mad. But he did not lose it. He didn't use it. And the Lord replies and he says, you're wicked. You're slothful. You're lazy. I mean, you should have at least put it in the bank and got a little bit of interest. That's the the biblical word, usury. So I'm going to take that talent from you. I'm going to give it to the one that has ten talents. Ten talents. Everyone that that hath shall be given, and he that has abundance. But from the one who doesn't have, I'll take it away. And I'm going to cast you, unprofitable servant, into outer darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then you go get back to the, the judgment. Son of man, come in his glory. Sit on the throne of glory. Gather all the nations. Separate them one from another like the shepherd. Divideth the sheep from the goats. Now, these disciples, they didn't didn't understand Jesus. They, They very rarely understood Jesus at his first. He would tell them something and they would go out on a whole other tangent. And so they said, I don't understand. What do what do you mean? How is this? King will say to the right hand, Come, you blessed my father. This is verse 34. Come, inherit the kingdom I prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There's that that phrase again. For I was hungry and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Naked you clothed me. Sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous are going to answer him and say, Lord, I don't understand. When did we do all of that? And he says, well, if you saw a stranger and took you in, if... If you did one of these to the least of my brothers, you've done it unto me. Say to them on the left hand, verse 41, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You know what I catch out of all of that, out of the 13 minutes that I've been talking? This is what I get. What are you doing with what he's given you? Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And there's this understanding that the kingdom of God is both then and now. And there will be a moment that the king is returning. There is a moment that he comes back. And what is he looking for? He's looking for someone who's done something. He could care less about the ten talents versus the five talents. He could care less about the quantity. He's looking for the quality. And so it is that the one who just made two more talents got the same reward as the one who made five talents. And I don't think it's a stretch that if the one who had been given one talent would have just made one more talent, he'd have had the same result. In fact, maybe, here, here, I won't even get behind the pulpit. I'll get off the platform in case I'm wrong. I'm convinced that if the guy would have at least tried. If he would have said, Lord, I, here's what I did. I put it in the bank. I tried to do this. And the recession hit and the bank closed down. And they didn't give me any, re, or any uh, you, you know, insurance. The Lord would have said, at least you did something. And so I ask you today, in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, that is now. What are you doing? What are you doing? Maybe, maybe let me ask you a different question. Why did God save you? 
Why did he get a hold of your life one day? Where you couldn't hardly sit still. Every time you thought about God, tears rolled down your, your eyes. You weren't comfortable no matter where you went and what you did because God was dealing with you. Why did he go through all that trouble to save you? Why did he die on the cross for you? I mean, the God of heaven, if he loved you that much, he could have just snapped his fingers and translated you to heaven like he did uh, uh, Elijah or, or Enoch. I think it's because he gave you something and he's just waiting for you to do something with it. The Lord said, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. Later on, he says, and I may be completely putting scriptures together that don't, but later on, he says, and greater things than this you'll do. And the heartbeat of God that brought him to sit on a, a well in the middle of the day for no apparent reason, but knowing there was going to be a little old lady that walks in having four or five husbands or boyfriends or whatever it was that she had and she's hungry and thirsty but she don't quite know what she's hungry and thirsty for but she meets a man on the edge of the well in John chapter 4 or John chapter 8 rather and and something gets a hold of her and then the disciples come back and they say hey we brought you a Big Mac and Jesus says I've had I've I've already had my fill I got fed and they go I don't see no food he said well it's because I've got another purpose I think that same purpose, that same draw ought to be in the life of you and me. That he didn't save me just to sit on a pew. He didn't save me just to bide my time and say, oh, even now, come quickly. No, he saved me because I've got access to people that you don't have access to. And the Lord said, I've saved you. What are you going to do? Now here's where, here's where the question gets a little, you know, put on your steel toe boots because it, it hits the toe hard. I read that, that if you do nothing, you might as well be, it's kind of being the same as if you did a whole lot of sin. The result's the same. Just think about that for a moment. I don't think I'm reading in it too much. That, that you could, you could, end up in the place where sinners go simply because you chose to do nothing. It's what... Y'all know I'm not real uh, uh, tearful. My wife says I'm a rock, and she don't mean that in a good way. She says, I'm dead inside. Well, you could ask Brother Lee. There's been a couple times on Bass Boat that I came close to tears. When that seven-pound bass jumped off my, my rod earlier in May. I, I came close to crying, but you know. Not joking, it's really true. But, but it's why I, I read, I, I've been reading a book. We, there's a... They're no longer with us, but elderly missionary couple, the Freemans. His name, they called him Bud. She was Nona. Bug, Bug. She was Nona. And 
I picked up their books. She, she was a phenomenal writer, and I picked up, picked up her, her books. I've got at least two of them, and I've read them. It doesn't, I can read them in about two hours. It's a pretty fast read. And I see everything they went through. And Brienne walked onto the porch yesterday, and she goes, What's wrong with you? I said, Well, I feel like I'm going to cry, and that makes her all flustered. Because I don't want to be accused of having that blessing and doing nothing. It's what drives me to see beyond the four walls of this church. It's what drives me as I drive through the city and feel that presence of God well up and I realize I can't do nothing. Because the kingdom of heaven is not just then, but now. Or Matthew 25, in chapter 1, or verse 1. The kingdom of heaven is like ten virgins who took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five wise, five foolish. The foolish took no oil with them. They took their lamps, and there was oil in their lamps, but there was no extra oil. The wise took oil in their lamps and oil in some vessels. While the bridegroom tarried and they slumbered and slept. Just real quick, the, the understanding that I have of this historical story is that they didn't have uh, street lights back then. They would have a, a, a wedding ceremony and... Maybe a, a, a wedding party and it'd kind of get raucous and crazy. But at some point, the bride and the groom would leave the party and head to their, their they didn't go honeymooning like we think, but they would go to their house or they would go to a place prepared for them. And you would have a little procession that would follow them. These, these, these virgins, their, their job was to light the path. And you don't ever know when the party's going to end. And so the bridegroom tarried. They slumbered and they slept. And at midnight a cry was made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go out and meet him. And the virgins arose, they trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to them, and they said, Give us of your oil, our lamps went out. The wise said, Not so, lest there not be enough for us and you, but rather go maybe find someone that sells some oil and buy them. And so they go. Remember, it's midnight. There's no... 24-hour Walgreens that sells lamp oil at that time. And so while they're trying to find some oil to buy, the bridegroom comes, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. A door was shut. After the other virgins came, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he said, Verily, verily, I knew you not. And then the question is, Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour where the Son of Man cometh. Can I tell you what I read out of that? Yes, be ready. He's coming. Make sure you're saved. Make sure you've repented of your sins. Make sure you've baptized in Jesus' name. Make sure you've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then make sure you keep living for God. And if you fail, make sure you don't wait too long to get right with God. Because there's coming a day. The bridegroom's coming. Midnight's coming. All of that. But I also saw something different. It says, watch therefore. But through all of that, there's this understanding of preparation. There's something you do now while you're waiting for then. A 
Again, I'm reading out. This is Brandon's not very biblical exegesis, or probably eisegesis, honestly. Eisegesis means, exegesis is when you kind of break it up and you do it right. Eisegesis is when you break it up to fit what you want it to be. But I'd like to tell you that I kind of would like to be one that, and again, this, this analogy is going to break down real quick, but I'd like to carry a little bit of extra with me so that when I meet someone who doesn't have it, I might could say the same thing that Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. I can't give anybody the Holy Ghost. I can't get anybody to heaven, but I want to be someone that's ready. I want to be someone that's saying, what am I doing right now? Right now. The bridegroom's coming. And so it is that if you'll, man, I'm running out of time. I thought for sure I'd be short, but here we go. Let's, let's run through this. I'm going to run through this about as fast as I can. So Matthew chapter 11. Find it. This is where you need your Bible because I'm going to say it so fast. Brother Andy's fingers are going to be smoking back there on the pro presenter computer trying to put it on the screen. Matthew eleven seven. I want to just kind of end this with, with a little bit of what the kingdom of God is like. They went away. Jesus begins to speak to the crowds concerning John. Matthew eleven seven. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? Did you want to see a reed shaken by the wind? Did you go to see a man dressed in soft clothing? Now nah, those are in the king's house. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Oh, yeah. I'll tell you more than a prophet. This is he of whom is written, before I will, Behold, I will send my messenger before your faith, face, who will prepare your way before you. We're talking about John the Baptist. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there's arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Here's your, your, your text for part two of this sermon. Actually part three, because part one was last week. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the law and prophets... Prophesy unto John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He that has ears, let him hear. What shall I compare this generation to? It's like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. John came neither eating or drinking, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man, meaning Jesus. Jesus has come eating and drinking, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is John the Baptist, chapter 11 of Matthew. We started at verse 7, but let's go back to verse 1 through 6 just real quick. Jesus has been instructing his 12 disciples. He goes and he preaches in the city. And John the Baptist is in prison. Think about this. The one who ushered in the Messiah is sitting in prison. And, and he, he's, he can't help it. He's just a little frustrated and sad and Maybe questioning his life choices. Did I, did I really do it right? I'm in prison. And so he tells his disciples, he's in prison, and he tells his disciples, go find Jesus. Just make sure. Ask him, are you the one we're, we're looking? Are you the one that's to come, or should we look for another? Jesus tells them, he says, you go tell John what you both hear and what you see. 
I'd tell you right now, that's what the church ought to be about. What are you hearing and what are you seeing? You're hearing the word of God because we're a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. It's part of our core values every time, every song, everything that happens in this church is wrapped around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to tell people what you hear. But I also want you to tell people what you see. People being healed. People being delivered. People being set free. I had somebody come up to me Sunday and, and, and shook my hand and said, Pastor, it's been over a year since I smoked a cigarette. Let me tell you what my God can do. Let me tell you. He, he, he says that sometimes it's hard, but, but then I realize where God brought me from. I'm telling you today, go and tell them what you hear and what you see. Blind receive their sight, the lame walk, leopards cleanse, deaf hear, dead raised up, the poor have the gospel, the good news preached to them. Later on, Matthew chapter 14, Herod cuts off John the Baptist's head, puts it on a platter. And so, again, this is, this is before, that, that's Matthew 14, we're in Matthew 11. Jesus is reassuring John. You didn't do anything for naught. The truth is marching on. John, I realize, I get it, you're in prison. It seems pretty hopeless where you are. There's not a whole lot of revival in the prison. The prison ministry hasn't started yet. That comes later. Peter had the prison ministry. You know, doors open up. He prays for the, the, the Philippian jailer, Philippian jailer, if I can say it correctly. But, but he does want to expound on the age-long fact that there is a force or forces that are fighting against the kingdom of heaven. It's not just John the Baptist. It's not just Jesus that they tried to kill. It's not just the apostles that they tried to kill. But there has been a lifelong, uh, uh, historical long battle against the kingdom of heaven. And so he says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violent, and the violent take it by force. He goes on to say, the prophets and the law prophesied, you didn't listen. You're like those in the marketplace saying, dance my dance and play my tune, and they didn't do it, and you get mad. It's Nehemiah 9.26. Nevertheless, they were disobedient, rebelled against you, Nehemiah, and cast your law behind their back. They killed your prophets. Jeremiah 2.30, in vain have I struck your children. They took no correction. Your own sword devoured your prophets like ravening lions. 2 Chronicles 36.16, they mocked the messengers of God. They despised his word. They scoffed at the prophets. Can I tell you today it's happening now? Go, go, go read Acts. They'll go to the synagogue and they'll have a great revival. And they'll go back the next day and some Pharisees or some synagogue leaders or maybe people from another town came in and riled them all up. And the revival they had one day turns into a murderous mob the next day. And it happens today. The kingdom of heaven is under attack. The devil doesn't like the kingdom of heaven. It pushes against his kingdom and he doesn't want it to happen. And so you, you live every day. I live every day as a pastor with people saying, don't tell me how to live my life, preacher. 
Don't tell me there's only one way to salvation. Don't tell me the Bible is absolute. We don't want to hear it. Well, they put their fingers in their ears. Because from the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. So be strong, Paul told the Ephesians 6.10. Be strong in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might withstand against the schemes of the devil. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in this evil day. And when you have done all, stand firm. We understand. I understand. I've come to the conclusion. The enemy... The worldview that we live in is against God's kingdom. It doesn't fit. And the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. The violent take it by force. Just because we live in a great country right now, Zeke's in, in this, it's technically a kindergarten, but it's, it's just on Wednesdays, so I don't know what you call it. So you know the first thing they taught him, I kind of like it, I'm glad for it. Put your hand over your heart. Pledge allegiance to the flag. United States of America. I'm glad I live here. I don't know of too many preachers. I mean, we had some, and I realized there was some governments that got pretty heavy-handed during COVID, and, and I get that, and I don't like it. And I'll probably do things a little bit differently if it happens again. But I, I've not yet been put on a, auction or a, 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 a chopping block and said, recant or we cut your head off. I've not yet faced the firing squad, but they have. I can show you all through history how many times the preacher or the church is imprisoned or killed for Christ's sake. And so, I'll just tell you right now, you've got to learn to stand. Because if God keeps delaying His return, it's only going to get worse and worse. It's only going to get to the place where where you're going to have to really make some decisions. So he says in verse 14, So stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, shoes for your feet, the readiness given by the gospel of peace, and in all circumstances take up the shield of faith by which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil put the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, praying in all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. That's not all that verse means. That's not where it ends. From the days of John the Baptist until now. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. One commentator said it this way. The kingdom of heaven comes with force. Because I've never seen a battle where only one side does the fighting. 
It's not a siege mentality where when you've done all you can do, just stand and hope you can endure and hope you got enough food in the vault until Jesus comes back. It's more than that. Yes, there is an attack on the church. Yes, there is an attack on the holiness of God. Yes, there is an attack on the kingdom of heaven. But can I tell you the kingdom of heaven doesn't just stand there idly and soak it all in. But there is a force that the kingdom of heaven comes with and it's attended by a demonstration of spirit and truth and what I have found is when the greatest persecution comes the kingdom of heaven comes stronger just about the time they think they can absolutely wipe out the church in Russia in communist times the church grew there are more Christians in China right now than has ever been in the course of time. Because the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. And so it is that Jesus says, this kingdom right here. Let me read what one commentator said. It comes with force, with power upon the souls of men. Attended with the demonstration of the spirit and power. It appears being the means of quickening persons who were dead in trespasses and sin. It enlightens the blind. It causes deaf to hear. It melts and softens heart of stone. It makes of enemies friends to God. It turns men from the power of Satan unto God. It sets at liberty those who were slaves and vassals to their own construction. In one word, it's the power of God unto salvation. The kingdom of heaven don't play. You ever picked a fight with the wrong person? I don't know if I've told the story. When I was in high school, I wasn't this fine specimen of, of strength that I am now. <laughs> when I graduated from high school, I weighed 125 pounds. I gained a little bit when I got married. When I got married, I weighed 135. Yesterday, I weighed 230. My wife's been good to me. But, but I, I was taught by my parents, and my, my, I, was, I was very much a pacifist. My dad would quote Abraham Lincoln. I didn't understand it back then. You know, it better be a dead coward than a live hero, or it better be a, 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 a dead coward than a... What is it? I'm, I'm so confused. Better to be a... Better to be a live coward than a dead hero. There you go. It'll come to me. You did a great job teaching me, man. It's right there. But, but I remember, you know, it, it, was, it was pretty easy to pick on me because I didn't know how to fight. Mom wouldn't let us fight. I got whippings if I tried to fight, so I didn't know how to fight. So I was in, I was in gym class in all of my glory of 125 pounds. We were playing tennis. And I had a a partner, tennis partner that was playing with me and he wasn't the most popular kid in school and so bullies on the other side of the net, they were just merciless. And I didn't know how to fight, but I didn't know how to run my mouth. <laughs> it's not a good combination. And I, I told them off, told them they need to quit that. And so this big bully comes over, and I mean just lays me out on that 
turf or whatever it was. I mean, just laid me out. And I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do and how this is going to work. And I, I can't help it. I run my mouth. I start laughing. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, I can't cry. Can't show them I'm scared. So I got to, so I am on my back making fun of them, knowing I'm about to get creamed. And they, they got all ready to go and they had a whole, whole herd of them. They got all ready to go. And then they ran away. And I'm not joking. I'm not embellishing this. I'm telling you the God's truth. I thought somehow I had done it. Until I realized the football team who I had befriended were behind me. And they had said, you mess with him one more time, you mess with us. The kingdom of heaven don't play. And so it is that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard and plant that flag right there and says you can push and do all you want to do, but this is as far as you're going to go. And so, yes, there's a fight. Yes, prophets have died. Yes, preachers have died. But there's another side to that battle. There are people who are running after this salvation. There are people who are hungry and thirsting for this righteousness. There are Samaritan and Gentiles who had no place in God's chosen people, but they forced their way into the presence of God. They crawled on their hands till they touched the hem of his garment. They said, I don't care mom and dad what you think. I'm going to church. And they live for God no matter what happens they press to it they're ready to shout their full head off trying to get God's attention Jesus thou son of David have mercy on me people would say hush you old blind man don't bother Jesus but they said I'll press on more I'll do whatever it takes because the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force I'm not advocating that you fight 2 Corinthians 10 says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Would you stand with me today? But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I'm not advocating that you fight a social gospel. I'm not advocating that you pick up arms and fight those who attack. Because it says in verse 2, Though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have the divine power to destroy strongholds. It's Matthew 16, and I've preached messages on this. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Matthew 16, 17. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, my Father in heaven, but I tell you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it I've never seen a gate fight a battle gates simply protect what's inside and the enemy thinks that it can come and steal from the kingdom of God the enemy thinks it can come and bring them back within the walls of its gates. And there's an entire world and an entire community. And some of you have family members that have been trapped and imprisoned behind the gates. But the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know what we're seeing right now at Lighthouse? Because there's a church of praying Holy Ghost filled people. 
because there's a church that has a hunger and a desire for an Acts chapter 2 type church. Hell's been losing people on a daily basis. Every time hell turns around, he's lost another one. Every time hell turns around, there's another family member that's, that's hearing it. Can you teach me a Bible study? There, there's another school member that says, I want to come to your church. There's a, a, another person that says, tell me what you're, you're hearing. Tell me what you're feeling. Because the gates of hell won't prevail. Because the kingdom of heaven is both now and then. Oh, I'm looking for that day. Older I get, the more I realize I can't wait for that day. But I'm not going to wait for that day and forget today. So I ask you this question as they begin to play. And won't you at least spend, get, get, would you give me at least like two minutes before you leave? And would you just pray and say, God, what is it that you want me to do today? He gave me talents. You gave me this Holy Ghost. You said, I'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon me. What do you want me to do, Father? In the name of Jesus. I feel your presence all through this place. I feel that press. I feel that push. I feel the weight of the kingdom behind us. Propelling us forward. Go. Pursue. Lord, I'm asking that you would touch every young person. Lord, I pray you touch every lady, every man right now. What is it that you've called us to do? You didn't call us to sit on pews alone. You didn't call us to...